Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Welcome to episode number 189 of the AR-15 Podcast. And on this episode, we are going to be talking with Faxon Firearms' very own Bob Faxon. Uh, Bob, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for the invitation, Reed. I appreciate this. I always enjoy talking about guns and all the things we've got going on, so thank you. Well, you know, it's a, a rather uh, interesting time uh, coming up here in the next couple months, and so uh, uh, we're excited to have anybody come on who's willing to talk to us and um, who isn't trying to uh, get the last uh, couple months of whatever uh, horrible fear they have squared away with the coming election. You know, I, I worry about it, but it will be. I, I know where my vote will go. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, it's been a while since we've had you with us, uh, and so it's good to have one of our uh, tried and true uh, co-hosts back on. So how have you been? Um, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you know, just in, in my personal life, uh, haven't done a whole lot firearms related recently, but I uh, did just celebrate my son's second birthday. So that's always uh, always kind of exciting. Yeah, well, that's always important. Mm-hmm. Well, before all we, those all those things go, go in the important category. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So uh, before we uh, roll on into our main topic, I want to remind all of you listeners that we have begun uh, the process of engineering a mechanism for you all to support the show and help us um, put those resources into uh, higher production values um, and some equipment so that we can have some redundancy and be able to provide you the best podcast that we can. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, great sponsors. Uh, we've got uh, some some listeners who decided to come in and become a part of the uh, the pledge uh, drive. And, and you know, of course, uh, Tom Gonzalez. He was our very first uh, uh, sponsor on the on the spot. So we really appreciate all of your your interest and all of your support. But if you feel like you'd like to help us out a little bit, uh, we will always uh, welcome uh, that assistance. And I would direct you to uh, the firearmsradio.tv website where you can pledge to support the AR-15 podcast. Um, Chris, why don't you uh, tell the listeners about tonight's main topic sponsor? Yeah, tonight um, our thanks go out to JWB, Military and Brass, because um, they've sponsored our main topic. Uh, go to jwbmilitary.com and use the promo code ARP10 for... 10% off of quality once-fired military reloading brass, AR-500 steel targets, and more. Again, that's jwbmilitary.com and promo card promo code ARP10. All right, thanks. And JWB Military and Brass, thank you for your support. Well, tonight's main topic is Facts and Firearms. And Bob, uh, since you are Facts and Firearms, we really... Are thrilled to have you on uh, the show tonight. Kind uh, of tell us about everything that you've done in creating a company that is really garnering a, a, a well-viewed um, position in the industry, uh, especially an industry that's uh, in such a, a state of change uh, these last four years. So. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and who is Bob Faxon? 
Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, first, I, I think it'd be important to clear and state that our business is a family business. And a lot of the credit goes to other people. I get the privilege of happening to be president of this particular company. My brother is president of the machining company. Seems like we kind of take turns. So uh, I really want to make sure that everybody knows it is a family and a group effort. My sister works at our company, my brother-in-law, my nephew, uh, my kids work there part-time, and my mom, who turned, again, in the important category, my dear mom had her birthday Tuesday, turned 94 years old. She's been with the company since it was started in 1978. She's been a backbone and a staple and just tough as nails. It's been a great example for all of us. So, you know, my mom, my brother, my sister, the whole whole group. And uh, I, I guess I, I'm kind of the crazy one. And, and by the way, my mom still comes in and works almost every day now. She, she <laughs> At 93, it was about every day. She broke a hip at 94, had it replaced um, and was back at work. So, you know, God bless mom. I can't, I can't help but to add all that in there. So, um, sorry about that personal side, but oh, no. my family, my family is so important to, uh, goals. And, you know, I think this industry is kind of a unique industry. We, we started business when I was 13 years old. My oldest brother, Dave, he started it and it was a 4,500 square foot building. And there was one gun drill machine in the building when they bought it to work on cars. And that happened to be called White Colt Arms. And they made muzzle loader barrels of all things. So anyway, my family, my brother got into drilling parts, metal parts, which we had never done before. And I ran around at 13 years old breaking things and causing problems and, and, and more or less more harm than good. But I did get around it since I was very young. And my brother was 15. Well, a few years later, my older brother Dave was electrocuted in 1984, an industrial accident off site. And uh, so at 19 and 21 years old, my brother and I ended up taking over the company as president and vice president. And we had a handful of people in 4,500 square feet. So roll the tapes forward quite a few years. Uh, we now serve several industries, oil and gas, defense, aerospace, automotive, tier one, uh, general machining, and now the firearms group. We have about 140, 165,000 square feet. In, in the one location, and we have certifications for aerospace, AS9100. We've got parts on Mars. We've done Tier 1 automotive. We've done parts for deck guns of Navy ships and bunker buster bombs, you name it. So you go from that little 4,500-square-foot uh, building in a, in a really tight-knit family, and, you know, America is all about certain things. I don't want to get preachy, but you can't do this everywhere. And, and, and I'll tell you something else. I personally couldn't do it by myself. And I think that a lot of people that ever make it somewhere, you know, it's important just to say, gosh, you know, it takes a lot of people to make something happen. And, and my brother, he, I promise he makes, I think he does. I mean, it's, it's a great combination for me, <laughs> but, uh, he's way more mechanical and technical than I am. But the one thing I think is, is really cool. And it's all about America. And that is that Americans are unique, I think, because we're creative souls and we're bred to be a unique way. We're, we're not cookie cut people. And, um, you know, you had mentioned the Iraq before, and I'll tell you a little funny story about that hopefully here soon. Uh, but the point is, this is a great place. You can do things. And the firearms industry is kind of unique because we could not build a supersonic intercontinental bomber. We don't have the ability as a small company, but in the firearms industry, you'll see so many businesses um, some that I've gotten to know over the last several years that I truly respect and make some quality products. And they're creative. They're innovative. They take a passion. They get into something that they really enjoy, and they use their skills. Typically, a lot of machinists or machine shops, 
and they'll say, hey, you know, I think I could do that better. And, you know, that's the backbone of how we've gotten to where we are. It's how people get to walk on the moon and, and go to Mars. So we have to keep asking those questions. And this industry is a great example where people can execute that. Uh, it could be as, as minor and, and no offense, it could be a muzzle breaker. It could be a complete new gun. It, it could be a better ammunition. It could be a better accessory. But look how many companies like ours have had the opportunity in this great industry to come out and say, look, I've got an idea. And I'll go back to my family, and, and if my brother was here, we'd tell you, uh, I have no shortage of that. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I think he's like, enough, that's enough. We've, we've got to chew a little bit, not bite anymore. But I, I just – I see things, and I see them in a different light, hopefully. And our goal is that we are supposed to manufacture a strategic solution uh, – a, a strategic solution for a tactical situation and whether it be a three gun competition and timed events or in some cases law enforcement or home defense where your life depends on it we have to take calm moments and we have to take our past experiences and try to roll it into something that in a split second decision that hopefully never happens what is supposed to occur occurs properly and reliably so we look at it for hours and days and weeks but it's all meant for that one second or that one issue and we have to keep thinking about our products in that manner. So when we look at it, um, you know, it was two things when we started the company four years ago I truly prayed for. And, and to this day, I still continue this prayer that, number one, the people that use our equipment will be safe and that it will perform properly. The second thing is that it's a means of fellowship. And firearms are a little boy walking with his grandpa through the woods. Uh, firearms is my dad took me. This was my grandpa's gun. Firearms is, you know, the little kid with a 22 learns to shoot with his dad. I, I, we do a church shoot uh, once a year that we were fortunate enough to sponsor some food and a little bit of time and a little bit of ammo and a few guns. And we go out and they have shotguns in the morning. We do skeet and trap and then we have lunch and then we go out and we do rifles and pistols. And I, I have to tell you, the enjoyment, the industry, when you see a little boy sitting on a dad's lap and maybe mom's standing there, or maybe mom's standing there and the little boy's on my lap. And we're actually helping that, that boy take a first shot, uh, accomplish a goal, hit a target safely, properly instructed. Um, you can't buy that. And, and when, I, when I look at firearms, I know they have a defensive and, a, and, a, and, and the, the reasons that a lot of people do buy firearms. But how many people enjoy other people uh, to go shooting, whether it be trap or skeet or pistols or three gun or just target shooting? And, um, you know, I think that that's what we want to focus on. Of course, we want to meet that split second reliability that all firearms have to possess. But our, our drive is that uh, people will enjoy our firearms and our products every day, all the time, in and out in normal circumstances. And really, hopefully, that they use them with their friends or friends and their family. We want our guns to be handed down to their kids and their kids. And, and that's what we think when we make. That's what we think when we build. So. It's a, it's a mechanical device. We need to engineer as best as possible. There are always issues. You always work on it. You always try to get better. Perfection doesn't exist. You strive for perfection. You accept excellence. So, uh, you know, this, this whole firearm thing has been such a rewarding topic because when we started and you make a product, if I make a knuckle that goes on a Ford Taurus and, and you buy the car, you really don't say, wow, Bob, you made a great knuckle. That car, boy, when I go around a corner, that, that steering knuckle works great. Well, there's not a lot of personal feedback to that, but when you do something um, that a person pays hard-earned money for, and and this is kind of a driver for us, this in a sales spiel, we're, we're, we try hard to be value-oriented. We want to be very high quality at very reasonable price. Uh, we, we understand economic times, and, and I'm fairly tight myself. So 
uh, you know, we're trying to be very reasonable and get good product in good people's hands. So our whole market is based on that, and uh, that that's our philosophy. So we, we try to make things that people would enjoy, and we consider shooting an experience. Um, when you go to the range and you pull your rifle out or you want to hit a target or you want to reliably shoot or safely shoot or hit targets better than the guy next to you, right? you got to beat him. So we build these things that are going to go out there and make it a pleasant experience. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to shoot it. You're going to do what you want to do with it. And uh, like the ambidextrous aspect of our A-rack. I'm a left, I'm, I shoot left-handed because I'm left-eye dominant, and um, you know, right-handed eject is fine. I've shot a million of them, but I enjoy being able to, in 30 seconds or a minute, pop the bolt out, flip it over, and eject the brass the other way, and, and it's a little more comfortable for me. So again, it goes to enjoying the experience. And, uh, you know, modifications, folding stock, forward charging handle, things that we have, optics platform, soft recoil, dual recoil spring, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is meant not to be like some technical blueprint bragging paper. It's meant that is this going to make a more positive experience for the person who uses it? And our hope is the answer is yes. So we use quality innovation service as kind of our taglines, but there's a lot more behind it. But um, I'm rambling a little bit. I apologize. <laughs> but anyway, we started out in 78, 13 years old. Brother passed away in 84, 19 years old. My brother was 21. We took the company over. We started out, tried to do work for people, and uh, we've been fairly successful. I'm very blessed about that. Built a new building about 22, 25 years ago. Started moving into 45,000 square feet, added on, added on, added on, got to 165. 2005, had a fire, burned half of it down, had to rebuild it. That was a minor setback. Um, but we do a lot of work for defense, too, which is a real privilege and an honor. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been an experience where we make a lot of parts for people that care. We're not somebody who had to make a machined part to produce a gun. We've been making parts for 38 years, 30, 38 years. So making the parts is, is something we're very comfortable with. And uh, our challenge is trying to read the customer's mind. And we, we all, all of our people, all of our teammates, you know, everybody shoots a lot, enjoys the product. So we, we, we test and we make and we break and we fix and we make and we break. And then hopefully someday we sell when we get it to the point we're comfortable but everything we do is meant that we would use it. And I look at stuff. I looked at something today. We did it. We did a little logo on some lowers. And it, it, I didn't like our logo, but we put a little flag behind it, a laser. We'll see if, how it looks if it comes out. But I looked at it, and I said, I would buy that. That looks awesome. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, you know I, I wear them out. You know, it's not good enough. I, I put a flag on this thing. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll just be proud of this part. So it, hopefully you'll see some of that stuff later. But we look for good value, solid stuff. Um, most of our our issues are all engineering mechanically based. Uh, we've, we've made parts to go to Mars and airplanes and cars. And we know what CPK, PPK, we deal in microns and tolerances and, and blah, blah, blah. So we've got that. And, 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 and it's a challenge to make all parts perfect or as good as you can. It's, it's always a challenge, but we've got experience in that. And, and so now we came into the industry and uh, I, I'm rambling again. I'm sorry, but should I tell about the ARAC? Well, I, I want to go back and I want to explore, you know, how you come into the company at, at 19 years old. And, you know, it, it sounds like your brother had, had a measure of success. Um, yeah, Dave's, Dave started out and got us going. I mean, he pushed us off the cliff. We learned to fly. And so you're 15. You're in a shop. Are you I was 13. 13? Are you developing your appreciation for the, the, the precision and uh, the uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but just the the element of machining that has always interested me is um, the the absolute attention to detail to to make something that you know you know might work in an engine uh, you know with you know 
the stresses and the heat or, you know, working a firearm that's going to be put under the demands that's going to be put in. I mean, to, to be on Mars, I mean, you, you, you must have some kind of, uh, I don't know, machining in your blood to, to be um, in it and, and to, to basically develop that base company that can do those amazing things. Um, so tell me about how you came up to be in this place where at 19 you, you basically stepped in and began running this company. Well, you know, like I said, it was my brother and my mom. My dad was alive at the time, and, and it was all of us. And it was, you know, you you band together in crisis and tough times. You know, they never last. Tough people do, they say. But it's it's a great baptism under fire. And I remember I bought my first uh, briefcase for my sales call. It came in a cardboard box. cost about 12 bucks. I put it in a rebuilt Honda. My brother had rebuilt because I couldn't afford a car. And I drove on a sales call with an overheating Honda and a $12 suitcase, briefcase. And uh, I passed out that little eight and a half flyer that I was so proud of that. I said, you know, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. You want to use me. And, uh, you know, I got that $50 purchase order right there, you know. I, and so that that's the beginnings. And honestly, I just think if there's anything that we've ever displayed as a company, it's passion. Um, I've been audited by everybody under the sun and we go for programs and they come in the area and audit. And one time the guy, he said, I'm going to have you fill this out. He turned around and said, is the vendor excited about this opportunity? He said, you can give yourself a 10. So, <laughs> you know, and, and that if, if you don't care, I mean, if you're not fired up about it, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm certainly not that good. So I have to be excited. I mean, you have to be passionate to drive towards, towards, towards the products. And, and, you know, I, the other thing is, I mean, I know I've said this before, but, you know, America is a wonderful country because you're not limited to something that's petitioned or portioned out or handed to you. And it is a big world out there. And there's so much opportunity. Um, maybe it's just too dumb to know any better. I mean, I'll, I'll go in and we're going to do it. I mean, we're going to we're going to we're going to get it done. And, and we've done it with automotive. We've done it with all, with all the other companies. And I remember all the beginnings selling the first job to the people saying, I've never done it before. But trust me, we can do this. And uh, you get some funny looks and, and you, you push through. You say, seriously, we're going to do this for you. And then if you do it a couple of times, you get a momentum and a tailwind. But, you know, the first ones, they're more exciting. Make, making the first gun, the A-Rack. Um, uh, the first A-Rack was uh, not a real prize. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite perfect. So we had to learn a little bit. And, uh, you know, that experience of being humbled, that experience of realizing how difficult it is, to make a high quality precision barrel uh, as opposed to even decades of machining experience that you may get some kind of an ego that, Hey, I'm pretty good at this stuff. And then we made our first barrels and honestly, they weren't very good and we were shooting them internally and it was really puzzling. We thought we were much better than that. So, you know, you always get humbled in the beginning of these programs and, and you jump in and you commit to getting it done. And then if you have a weakness or an issue, you get help and you, and you work your way through it. And uh, we, we were fortunate enough to have some outside help uh, from a nice gentleman who knew more about barrels than I ever will. But he was such a catalyst for our learning curve. And I can tell you that our barrel quality just ramped up and amped up unbelievably over a very short period of time with a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of time and energy went into trying to learn how to make a barrel when we've been making parts for 30 years. Uh, over 30 years. So it, it's interesting. It's new industries and uh, all the industries have different personalities, if you will. And uh, firearms is a great one, man. I mean, it's, it's like you can make something, go shoot it that night and test it. And, you know, I, just going to burn up 300 rounds in 30 minutes and roll out and burn a hole in the case and hope it doesn't catch on fire in the car on the way home because I'm late <laughs> for getting home to mama and the kids. Right. So you, you just do you do this stuff and it's fun. And what's really cool 
is when you go to SHOT Show or, or you go to NRA, and, and I love to go to these shows. People will come up, and they're going to tell you whatever they think. They paid hard-earned money, and the gratifying part is – and we've been so blessed that when you're there and the people come up and say, man, I, I bought your stuff, and I really like it. I, you know, This was really cool. That means more to me than than anything else. I mean that that is that's your report card. So those kind of paybacks with a personal product, your name is on it, you're committed to it, you can't hide from it, you're going to stand behind it. And when you go into the public and you see these results from people, I'll be honest, it's humbling, it's it's motivational, it gets you fired up, it gets your next product, it keeps you moving. So I, I've enjoyed this industry immensely. Uh, I, I like to defend. I'm real, real partial to defense too, but. Um, all work is noble. All the customers are good. But my passion is definitely in the firearms and bombs, guns and bombs. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So it, it sounds like you have an enormous breadth of experience. Do you find yourself um, in these various industries because of that drive and passion? Or do people seek you out and say, hey, Bob, you know, we have this problem or we have this need can you can you solve it um how, how does that work you know that that's interesting because initially all of the opportunities have a task a challenge a puzzle or a problem to them if you just make a part to a print for someone they'll come in and say can you make this widget everybody gets the same print so for you to win or be profitable to gain the business, you have to be creative in the way that you make it typically. You have to be efficient. You have to be aggressive. You have to really know your stuff. There's not a lot of fat on the bone anymore. You have to be pretty good at what you do. So your creativity is how to process their part. And, and that's how you win business at a low-cost supplier. Now, the other side of it is a lot more fun. And, and we have some customers now that we're getting to participate with on problem-solving of major issues where – the customer has objectives that are not met. They don't have quite the solution to the total package yet. And they look at you. Um, I always say I work for the smart people, the physicists, the PhDs, the engineers, the, the very, very smart people. They're great people to work for. But the opportunity um, to bring a perspective to a room full of very intelligent engineers and scientists is you're a machinist. So the creativity that we get to offer it's really more perspective. Uh, typically, a person like me would never be invited in these rooms. We, we don't get that opportunity to be asked. And so it's humbling and flattering to be invited into a room and you say, we're going to achieve this goal. And by the way, what do you think would be a good way to do that? And you know, the only thing you hope for in a moment like that is that if you've been invited and you've wasted their time or consumed a seat at a table, you just pray you have something to offer that makes a benefit to the program. So – a lot of times in the defense is what I'm very, very targeting right now. But when you go in there and they take the time to involve you, you just hope that you can add something to it. You, you know, you can't be neutral. You, you've got to hit the ball. You, you've got to get it out of the park. So you just hope that what you suggest can fly because there's so many challenges to developing products. There's, there's so many negative aspects and, and, and hurdles, cost, performance, different types of reasoning. A lot of things have been tried and they don't get through to the end. So you can't get discouraged. And my rule is – I made this rule because I'm the number one offender. Nothing stupid. You can say anything <laughs> in a creative environment. And even if it's not the answer, it can lead to the answer. So we try to find solutions for our customers and set ourselves aside because a lot of people can make the parts. But solving a problem or impacting a program or making a positive uh, contribution 
above the expected level of making a part to print. That's that's the exciting part. And uh, that, that's why when we started into this business, we didn't start making AR-15s. We started with an A-rack. We went completely outside the pack, completely redesigned a gun. I drew it at my kitchen table right there in 20 minutes on three pieces of paper. And uh, it took about a year to get it shooting, but it took about 20 minutes to put the concept down. And so that, if you ask earlier, you know, what is – in Chile, you need a whole bunch of stuff, a little bit of sweet, a little bit of spicy, right? You don't want all of anything. So business is the same way, and I guess I might be the spice. I don't know. I'm sure not the sweet. So I guess I'm the spice that goes in and ignites an opportunity and says, hey, we could do this. And 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 I always say we because it's never I. I can't do hardly anything, to be honest with you. So you know the team of people that are around us and support these activities, man, are some super bright engineers and, and, and programmers and machinists and inspectors and quality people. You know, it's, it's a team. So – you get something, and what you hope is that this will make it to a finish line. This will make it to a good product for a consumer. This will make a shooting experience more positive. And, um, you know, you start with a piece of paper, and, yeah, that looks good. You're going to have to change this thread, make this left-handed, do this, do that. This would fit better that way. Great. That's where everybody starts getting in. And uh, I've never seen any one person ever come up with the single best idea. There's always been input from others. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I like to lead the charge, throw something out there and say, hey, we're going to make dry water. <laughs> you know, so you know, let's figure this out. And uh, the team of people and everybody participating, you know, sure, sure enough, man, I mean, we we were able to solve some problems, and and that that's the cool part. So I, I just I I can't express enough how much how many different skill sets and people within our organization. You know, we have well over a hundred hundred uh, you know teammates and and coworkers, and I tell you what, there isn't a one of them doesn't offer something one day or another. So, well, let me ask you this. So right now. Um, you know, you've expressed, um, I think a, a strong passion for the, you know, guns and bombs, you know, aerospace, um, uh, Department of Defense, um, you know, uh, the firearm side of things. Would you say that as a whole, your, your enterprises are more focused on that or more focused on the non, uh, military side of things? Because, you know, those, capabilities that that you're talking about touch in you know virtually every aspect of american manufacturing yeah that's a good question and you know my focus bringing those two out is probably based on the opportunity to be more creative in those two entities Mm -hmm. um it would it would be misgiving of me to try to elevate one above the other because we do a lot with the automotive we do oil and gas a little flat right now but it's a big industry for us Uh, aerospace is a big industry for us general machining is a big industry for us and if any of our customers that send me one piece a year to drill heard this i would want them to know they're just as important to me as the rest um like i said all work is noble but when you talk about the excitement aspect of participating at a higher level of trying to have an impact over making a quality part to a print for a reasonable price. That's why probably I focus on the other two and the firearms, especially because our name is on it and, and, and we literally put our name on it. And, right. um, that means more. I remember we made our first barrels and we didn't have a laser or anything. We were upstairs in an area we, we used to use for storage and we pushed all this stuff over. We started working and making, you know, starting this little business on the side. And I, I paid like $130 for a metal stamp had our logo in it and we would hit it with a hammer because I didn't want one thing going out there without our name on it. So we, we believed and backed it from day one. Now we laser really cool stuff and, and neat things. But, man, we got that. We I had to buy two of them because it took three weeks to get them. And, and bam, we I got a broken window upstairs still where it flew out of a guy's hand when he hit it. You know, and it cracked the window. So 
that's where we started. I mean, you know, you put your name on it, you're proud of it. And, um, you know, so we laugh and we've had a very rapid growth rate in that particular business over the last several years. And it's been really gratifying how the customers have received our products. So, well, you know, I think probably the, the first thing that drew my attention to facts and, uh, firearms is the ARAK. And, and you've, you've touched on it a couple of times tonight. That's my Why baby. Why don't you tell me about it, you know, from from conception to delivery. Let's, let's talk about the ARAK. Okay. Well, it's one of my favorite subjects. You know, it's it's a uh, unique combination. And short story, a few years ago, about five years ago, six years ago, whatever it is, I'm bad on time. Well, uh, my brother and I, we didn't, have, we didn't have much work. You know, machining was very slow. And so I said, well, we're, we're going to have to we're gonna have to make something. You know, we, we have to employ these people. We, we've got to keep this going. So we uh, – we decided to make AR-15s. I fly to Las Vegas. I'll go to the shot show. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to check everything out. We come back. We're going to tear this place apart. We're going to we're going to crank up and we're going to, we're going to beat everybody. Well, when I went to shot show, which was my first time ever, um, I went in feeling pretty confident. I was a little, little, little you know, a little cocky. And I walked in there about 30 seconds. I felt like a country mouse on a New York City sidewalk. I could not believe the amount and the quality of the firearms that were in that show. And by the time I was done that day, I was just completely beat up and disheartened. And I called my brother that night and I said, Barry, this doesn't look too good. I don't think we're going to come into this industry and be as dynamic as I thought when I flew out here. And he was really cool. And he said, you know what? And I said, I feel bad I came out. I'm wasting all this time. He said, no. He said, it's as good to know what not to do as it is what to do. I said, wow, that's probably the first thing smart I ever heard him say, but it was good. And uh, <laughs> So I came back home, and I shelved it for about six months, and I was watching Discovery Channel with my two boys. Had the all-time 10 top battle rifles. And commercial break, come back, and it's the AK-47 and the M16. And they picked the AK-47 as number one. And I've known AKs and ARs, and it's like Ford and Chevy, it seems, to have their camps, right? And uh, north shall the two meet. So I got so mad, and I thought, you know – why would we accept as a U.S. military superpower anybody even debating we have the second best battle rifle? It was embarrassing. So we don't want the second best bomb. We don't want the second best gun. So I went over to my kitchen table, drew it up, and I said, you know, there are real entities of both firearms that have positive attributes. And without emotion biasing that decision process, my goal was to put them together. And I wanted it to fit on a standard AR-15 lower because there's so many out there. And if you have one, you can use it. You can just buy the upper. So I started going through it, and, and it was a really simple task. It took about literally 20 minutes on three papers. And I've never been a fan of the rear charging handle. Um, I, I like the forward charging handle, so we put it on there. I needed an ambidextrous. That was easy. It had to be folding so it didn't catch. It had to be spring return. Things should go in their natural position and not hang around. So we did that, and I said, you know, the bullet in a 7.62 by 39 versus a 5.56, there are people who prefer that. We have to make it interchangeable calibers and barrels. It's a necessity. The long-stroke gas piston uh, with a variable setting seemed like a good option based against the gas impingement for potentially reliability, et cetera. Now, we couldn't duplicate the reliability of 5.56 over a 7.62 with the cartridge taper. There are some advantages there, and we didn't utilize the same bolt system as an AK. We kind of stuck more with the AR. So we wanted the accuracy, the platform, the optics uh, mounting. We wanted a firearm that had a very soft recoil. You had to be able to fold the stock. I sat in an armor-plated Humvee, and I thought, how do these how do these soldiers move around in here? You know, so cramped. I said, you know, you want to get that stock out of the way, shorten this thing up. So we folded the stock, we interchanged the barrels, 
I never thought a, a steel bolt carrier should ride an aluminum housing. It, it doesn't seat well from a machine standpoint. So he said, we'll put steel rails and we'll run it back and forth like a machine tool. And the forward recoil spring had to go forward. One of the dual recoil springs, we could soften it. And uh, we wanted to machine it out of a billet monolithic aluminum piece. And it had to fit on an AR lower without protruding behind the uh, the hoop of, of a regular AR. So we just drew it all up, and, and that's what it had to be. And then it got refined, and it got detailed, and it got defined over a period of months to draw and play. And then we started building, and we started shooting them. And I guess it took probably a year and a half, I guess, before it was really you know ready ready to sell. But the intent and the design concept that was written on there, I believe for the most part, stayed intact and and there was no sacrifice of any of the core efforts or goals from the gun it it achieved everything that was written down so i I think it was cool that the concept made it to the end it's like the car in detroit never looks like the one in the car show in the car (laughs) showroom when you go to buy it this did it survived it stayed absolutely we had uh given initiatives and directives we were reliability uh functionality comforts functions accuracy and price And, and every decision we made we stuck with those guidelines when you do that, um, you can end up with a very unique item because you stuck to your goals, and that's what we did. So that's why it looks different. You know, it, it, it didn't conform back to, and we didn't require anything from the AR because as soon as you start making common parts too common, well, when you're all done, it looks just like the other one. So we took a white piece of paper and said, well, we're going to start from scratch. Everything we do, the involute, the involute flutes on the bolt, the two ejector pins, not one, the ejecting at three o'clock so you can pull the pin rotate it make it left-handed all those entities were all just necessities and they said you know you can't use an ar part now you can't use an AR bolt um it had to be different we use different gas tube length and, and you know for our mechanisms so all that kind of came through and and the arac was born and it started with the 556 and then we did the 300 blackout and 762 or 39 and uh you know we've we've, we've made arac 31s now and 308 that we have not marketed yet we're still testing and playing with but um then we got into the AR market and started that full line of products with barrels and muzzle brakes and the lightest bolt carrier and uh, really good QPQ nitride bolt carriers. And then we, we got our laser and we said, you know, for the guy at home, if he's building a gun, he doesn't have head spacing gauges, we'll head space the bolt and the barrel together and laser a serial number on both of those components so they can always be matched for that user. So we just grew right into the AR platform and, again, just trying to serve the customer. Mm-hmm. But the A-Rack was the only way that we felt we could get into a, such a, a solid business. I mean, the industry has tremendous firearms out there. Right. Um, and, and, and the air platform has so many good options. So we didn't want to get into it until we had something unique. And, and that's how the A-Rack got us into the firearms business. Well, let me ask you this question. And, and I don't know if this is a fair question. You know, over the course of all of the time that the show's been here, over the course of my personal interest and involvement, um, and just, you know, seeing what the industry's doing for my own, you know, uh, as a purchaser, as a consumer, um, my own interest, um, there have been a lot of companies that have tried to innovate, bring in new uh, products. Uh, Beretta has a bullpup shooting, you know, uh, Five five six. You've got um, the uh, IWI, uh, the Tavor. Tavor. Um, you, you've got um, you know uh, the Scar. Uh, there's a couple of other kind of uh, very AR-15 esque uh, rifles. Uh, there's an ARAK. There there doesn't seem to be a, a cap on 
who can be brought to the table to find a, a niche in the, the firearms industry. I mean, just look at the industry as a whole. It's huge, um, encompassing far more than just the tiny part that, that we cover. <coughs> Do you think that in terms of the AR, that it's a platform that is going to just steadily lose market share as other innovators come in with whole new products? Or do you think people will come in behind the platform itself to innovate it so that it continues to be competitive against other new products? I, I think both. And and I can tell you from my experiences, you know, starting out, I already told you I'm that real passionate guy. I figured we changed the world with the ARAC. And it, it takes time for industries to accept anything out of the norm and what we found is our mainstream activity still supports and participates in the ar-15 platform it it is a it's just a sound platform and i think that the other weapons i won't call them boutique but the other types of weapons they offer variation and i think that people will have an ar-15 before they'll have an arac maybe Mm -hmm. but when they want variation to that they're going to pick up the the bullpups or the tavors or the a-racks um i i think that it's for the shooter who has some discernment the price is not an entry level it is going to offer features that some number out of x will desire and i think that if you deviate from the platform far enough and i hope we have then you offer that diversity to the customer. You offer something different. And they have to accept that. They have to choose it. Um, the AR-15 can be an automatic, hey, I got to have one. I got to have one in my closet. Everybody has one. Pick your brand, but I need an AR. I think when you go outside of the, the norm, the consumer has to make a cognizant decision to pick your rifle. And, and that means that you have to have something different than a laser mark or a, you know, a skull on something or whatever. You have to have physical features they're looking for and haven't received yet from the, from the manufacturing base. So that's why with the ARAC, I don't think we'll ever sell to everybody. But when people want the features and they haven't been available to them, we, we offer that. So it'll always be probably a small percentage. And the AR-15 platform is just so solid and, and it's being supported and it's, it's highly reliable. And, you know, there's always some manufacturers are a little better and some are a little, little worse, maybe, um, you know, price, quality, whatever, you know, the drill, mm-hmm. but the platform is solid and, and, and done right, done properly. Um, there, the air is a solid platform. I, I personally don't like the recoil spring next to my head. That's a physical entity that, uh, you know, has, has something, but, um, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a gun snob now. I don't know. But, uh, I, I don't like twangs. Uh, I used to, but I don't anymore. So those certain features, some will say, I don't even hear it. You know, they're so used to right. it. And someone say, yeah, that bothers me. I prefer this. Um, felt recoil is so different for everybody, different size people, different bullets, purposes, applications, suppressors, whatever. But a lot of people will notice that again, going back to that shooting experience, if you can fold the stock, if you can put an optics platform on a monolithic slab, if you can adjust the uh, calibers and, and change them in the field, if you can let your kid shoot left-handed and you shoot right-handed at the range within two minutes apart, um, things like that may, may enhance your experience. Right. It, it may help you enjoy shooting more. And if it does that, add it to your collection. 
you know, choose to do so with, with mine or somebody else's. But if you don't and you're happy, man, you know, that's why we're mainstream with the air. We, we don't go out and knock other stuff or say something's bad. That's just not our nature. It's like ice cream. You know, everybody picks different flavor. I think the air is vanilla, man. I mean, it's, it's the vanilla ice cream. Yeah. Everybody likes it. You know, some people like Rocky Road and, uh, maybe we're down that, that path, but, uh, I, I think, our, our job is to try to enhance the experience of the consumer, and we felt that to do that, to make a difference, to even get into an industry, we couldn't just hold a tolerance two-tenths of a thousandth tighter and say we're dynamic. We do. Yeah. Our dimensions are tight. Our uppers are super. I mean we do all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. We are tight, tight, tight. But um, you know, dimensionally and accuracy and quality-wise, we're, we're there. But it's almost discernible by a lot of the customers. They wouldn't notice how much effort we put into making certain dimensions proper and, and certain geometric issues of, say, an upper receiver, lower receiver. We take a lot of pride in that. But what they will notice is, hey, where's the charging handle? <laughs> oh, it's up front. I like that. Oh, I'm shooting a suppressor. I can turn this gas off and shoot a single shot and I can <clears throat> charge it up. Yes, you can. Oh, I like that. Oh, I'm left-handed. Well, here, let me do that. Oh, I like that. So those are the hardcore features that you yeah. look to get someone's attention with. Let me ask you a question. You know, we've seen this drive to innovate the AR platform, and I think that that has brought on some some universal innovations. You know, uh, we see Keymod and MLock. You know, first it's on you know all of your handguards, and then all of a sudden you're seeing them on you know what is it? Um, Accuracy International stocks that are you know betting you know. 700 uh, Remington uh, Remington 700 uh, Model 700 actions and you know it, it, it's crossing over into other areas because you know of course there's some value to being able to attach whatever you want in whatever way it is do you find that when those things are coming through that you're thinking to yourself oh well this is something that we could incorporate into um, our ARAK or, or the next generation or a new iteration of something that's in our, our, you know, queue or do you, are you kind of like an, uh, I don't know, a musician that doesn't listen to other music so that you can create your own new stuff? You know, it's an interesting question because I think it's very important to stay abreast of the market and understand what the what the general sways and swings are. When you're making barrels, for example, you know, weight, balance, purpose, caliber, rifling, twist, chrome knot, those are important to stay abreast of the industry and understand. And we have some really good people at, at our at our shop who do that. That's not me. I, I always laugh because I'm super excited about what we've achieved, but I have to tell you, I'm probably the dumbest gun guy you've ever had on your show. Um, I'm around people that know guns and historical issues and how things were designed and how this was done. And I'm like, I don't even know that gun. Um, I'm, I'm not, I don't immerse myself in it for the simple reason that I do believe it allows me to be more focused on purpose driven creativity. And we look at things, I, I like to look at things from an internal why is this and why is this not? look and feel um and i think nathan and other people that are on our team are very in tune with it. you know do you go mlock or, or or not uh, do you go key mod do you do you do this what length hand guards are people wanting to shoot what's their new shooting stances i'm not too much in tune with that uh but what i do like is when say, you know they want this or they want that then you go okay well let me think about that a second you know what can we do how can we make that easier smoother better how do we accommodate that shooter and why does that move that shouldn't move why isn't that stiffer you know for a handguard and a barrel orientation or something like that so i i think yeah i'm not mainstream at all if i had a gun quiz i'd score a 
D, D minus. Um, you know, I know which way to point it, and I'm, I'm pretty good at shooting them sometimes. But um, the historical aspect and the derivatives of the designs, you know, from the John Brownings and, 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 and the Eugene Stoner, uh, the creativity those people displayed, it's amazing. And uh, but but I don't I don't study it I don't I don't saturate in that I I, I, I like to just look at things fresh and, and take perspective. So do you have a, a system in place where you're able to address a need and have kind of that parallel of you know we're going to approach this problem solving element from the creative side while you have a, a parallel, I don't know, external benchmark that says, all right, you know, everything's going along great. Don't forget to put, you know, uh, key mod holes in your rail or something. Or is it just kind of, it just depends on what you're doing. You know, I, I guess I'm just trying to get an insight into that creative I, I, element. I think it's environment. Um, I think that environment is so conducive or non-conducive to activity. People will put a poster on the wall and say teamwork, and there's a bunch of guys rowing a boat or something. So, look, I spent 14 bucks. I put on the wall now. You guys are a team. You got it? And, and, and they're not a team. The poster doesn't do it. And if you create the environment where people feel part of that and you touch and you feel and you share and you show and, and you ask and you try and you shoot, let's go to the range. Let's go do this. Um, you go to the assembly guys, put this together. What do you think? They've got sticks. It's too hard to assemble. This handguard doesn't go on easy. The screw strips out. Don't use a helicoil. Put a nut in the backside. Those are the kind of things that, you know, you, you just open and ask people. Um, and, and if they feel good, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm delusional. Maybe if you ask the guys, they go, man, he's closed minded as can be. Don't hear anything. It's always his way. I don't know. Maybe that's what they would say if they were talking to you. But I'm hoping that it's a creative environment where everybody's input is welcome. And, you know, there always has to be the decision maker, the final decision. There always has to be an accepted path. But I think evaluating things first is the key. And it doesn't mean everybody's idea gets used. Not mine all the time, not other people's. But at the end of the day, you collect all the information you can. You make the best decision you can. You take action. You move forward. And if you have to correct it, you correct it later. So we do a lot of uh, – I, I like to walk around and talk to people. Uh, it's, it's really important. How's your day going? How's it going? How are these running? What's going on? And you just learn a lot that way. And I love to – I'll, I'll carry a piece around the shop. I go, what do you think of this? I'll be walking around tapping a carbon fiber handguard on everything, see if it'll break, you know. And, hey, you like this? What do you think of this? And then you put this on a gun. See how it fits on. And they go, you know, that's too tight. You go, oh, crap. Okay, <laughs> we better fix that, you know. So I, I, I don't know. It's just environment. Well, let me ask you this. How do you go from having the weight of the family's future on your shoulders to becoming the, the kind of – um, the kind of leader who walks the floor and says to your people, I value your opinion. I want you to give me input on something that may very well influence where this thing goes from this day forward. How do you become a leader who lets go of the pride of authorship, the control, the, the, the demand for, uh, for excellence that, um, is behind a lot of, you know, success in a company and allow for other people to take that journey with you? Well, I hope it's an easy answer. It's about the customer, not you. It's, it's that simple. It's not an ego trip. It's, it's not what you think. It's about what the customer is going to end up getting. And, and, and that's where you would never put anything in front of getting a better idea from somebody else. 
<clears throat> to input to that product. I mean, your end product, that, that experience that shooter gets, that, that's, that's the key. So, you know, it, it's not an all about you kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's, it really isn't. It's how good can that product be? I mean, I could sit here and go through a list of everything we've done and, and not one thing ever, never has been one person's idea ever. Right. Um, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, and, and it gets initiated by somebody has to have the spark has to be created. Didn't exist before, you know, muzzlock, you ever see our muzzlock device on our yeah, muzzle devices? Yeah. Well, here's how stuff happens. I go in on Saturday, I go to build myself a gun. I, I do that occasionally. So <laughs> I, I'm going to go in on Saturday. I'm bebopping around. I'm grabbing some parts. I'm like, I need another gun. So I, I put an A-Rack there. I was all excited. I had a new caliber or something. And, uh, I put in a device and I gave our muzzle devices, so we had the, the loud mouth muzzle device. And I had the crush washer and I had things. And we had made all of those muzzle devices in one setup. And every thread was timed the same way to the break. And it was right past 12 o'clock. So it had to go all the way around. And, and I had a device with the, with the nylon jaws. And I, I tried 20 of them. I'm, I'm so mad. I was like, oh, they're all the same. So I go to crush it around. And this A-Rack pops out of the vise. And I caught it before it hit the ground. And it made me so mad. I said, that will never happen again. That is ridiculous. And, you know, trying to moose that thing around. I said, I'm, I'm never going to. That's stupid. So then Muzzlock came up. I was, I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, you know, and that, that's how Muzzlock came up. Now, the left-handed thread was my brother's input. He said, you know, we want to put a left-handed thread on that instead of a right uh, for the actual uh, the integral retention nut. So that's how it came up is me about breaking my foot and screwing up a brand-new gun. I said, you know, that, that stinks. I don't want that to happen again. So that, that was like the origination of the Muzzlock. And uh, it wasn't because of industry standards or anything. You know, right. I'm probably not the only person who had that issue. Now, I did it because of timing a gun one time to put it together. But the reality of it is the the, the learned benefit or the, the, the evolution of that prog- product is that now when you go to the range, you want to take a suppressor on and off and you do other things or even cleaning the crown of your barrel, which most people don't do. So you can actually take that on and off and, and have functionality. So it was not just a one-time purpose of assembly. Uh, you could use shim washers or turn face, whatever. But then it started out with one thing, but it had multi-purposes. So even even the uh, the last thing we just did, I don't know. We've got this 14 and a half inch barrel with a with a pin and welded muzzle device, right, to make mm-hmm. it 16 inch, mm-hmm. like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So we came out. With, we're coming out with a whole line of muzzle devices and flash hiders, and some have muzzle locks, some don't. Depends what's relevant. But the one that we're putting together is a 620 diameter. It's a small diameter uh, muzzle device. And we pin and welded on a pencil barrel or a gunner barrel with a 625 gas block. Mm-hmm. And I would put these guns together. I go, "This is a super cool gun. We got this super light thing and all this." Other stuff. And I put this big old honking hunk of steel out on the front. This big nasty muzzle brake. It's like well, I just put a pound on the gun at the very worst point that I could. So my my non uh, industrial industry based input was, "This is silly. I want something more proportional and lighter and and still retain functionality." And then Nathan's input was, "Hey, if you make it 620." And not 625 or 630, you can slide your gas block over it now, pinned and welded, but you can still put a handguarded gas block. So, again, I come out and say, this looks stupid. I mean, this is ridiculous. So let's make this. And by tweaking it a few thousand smaller and making sure that we hit that .62 diameter, 625 gas blocks fits over. You can build it. You can clean it. You can reassemble it take your handguard off the barrel nut. So that's an example of an evolution of, of how a product starts. And then you try to make it so that it hits as many customers' benefits benefits as you can so i i'm still drawn to this whole part where you get to the point where that kind of wisdom is driving your company i mean obviously um you've had success but i have to tell you that as a 19 year old i could not have stepped into those shoes in any way shape or form um 
you know. But nobody I, said we did a really good job back uh, then either. What was there? Was there? Was there a turning point in your life where you had the aha moment? And and I'll tell you that professionally for me, it was pride of authorship. As as an attorney, it's that moment in time where you're sitting um, at, at the behest of a client and their request across the table from another peer who is going to just you know try to screw your hide to a wall um, over a comma or uh, you know a choice of pronoun, whatever the case may be, and and. I had one of those aha moments where I realized, you know, it's it's not about whether my words go in it or his words go in it. It's am I protecting the interests of my client? And if that doesn't matter one whit, I should not spend a minute of my client's time arguing about it. And And, you know, I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that in very specific instances are, you know, full of the pride of the work they do. But sometimes you have to step back from that and say, okay, it's not about what I, as a prideful person, need. But what you've expressed is the exact same thing in terms of, you know, your industry. It's not me. It's the customer. Absolutely. So I I guess I'm curious, how do you arrive at that as as a businessman, as, um, you know, as as the head of your company? And and know that oh wow okay so this is the thing that I should be doing. You know I I have a a real strong philosophy. I never look back to beat myself up. If I'd have known better, I'd have done better. And if I don't know more today than I did last year, something's wrong. So I naturally will always look back and say mistakes and dumb and shouldn't and and wouldn't, but did. And so it is a natural evolution of learning. And and I I had for me. Aha moments are in in certain areas um, that have occurred over the over the course of time, but most of them are course corrections, decisions, things that you want to evolve your business to. Because one of the things that I uh, am sensitive to is manufacturing as a whole in the country, and I won't get on a soapbox, but it's taken a pretty good beating. And there's a lot of foreign competition, pricing, imports. There's a lot of things that have affected it since I started as a kid. I mean, uh, there was a lot of businesses then that aren't here today. So I think the industry has been beat up a little bit. You can't just sit there and put your feet up and say, I can ride this to retirement. You may have to change two, three, four, five times before you're going to get to retirement today. Change has always been around in industry from horses and tractors and phones and stuff. But what has changed today is the rate of change. Um, the rate of change has just escalated so quickly. So even a machine shop may have to reinvent itself in various ways. And I think um, if you perform a service, then your question is, who do I do it for? And uh, you, 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 I can't quit and get a new job, but I can try to rearrange my customers. And basically, they're my employers. So I, I can go get a new job. I can change the direction. We can do it. And of course, it starts with commitment. It starts with, is it where you want to end up? One of the biggest things that I was an early mistake I, I have done and, and we have done as a team is not truly evaluate the path. Where are you going to end up? Now, are you, do you want to work the time it takes to get to that end? And if you do, are you happy where you are? Because you may not end up where you want after you put the effort in. So I think trying to protract and project uh, where you want to be and is it worth the work? Do you want to get there? 
we'd be happy at that point. And, and, and we've made some decisions where we backed out and said, no, it's a dead end road. We, we don't want to continue the effort sometimes sooner, sometimes later. But, but in the firearms group is saying, do we want to be in the industry? Do we want to make products? Do you want to have a brand? Do you want to start a company? I think that was a good decision. That was, that was a very difficult decision. Um, when I went out, we were at our attorneys just happened to be for something else. And I wanted to tell them, Hey, we're going to, we're going to start this company. And I said, great. I've known this guy's been our attorney for 30 some years. You know me since I'm a kid. And here I am. I go, he's been telling me, get a product, get a product. And I said, well, we got a product. And I thought, I'm going to go tell him we're making guns and he's an attorney. He's going to say, you idiot, you know, but he supported a hundred percent. So that was an aha moment where we do gun drilling. We, <clears throat> we can drill holes in bars, 10 meters long, 33, 35 feet from one end up to five foot diameter with two foot holes. Um, ID. So I, I joked the other day, we took some videos and we had a shaft that was like 20 feet long. It was turning. It was three, four feet in diameter and we drill a hole through it. So I said, shoot some video of that because if we do a little video and they say, hey, we've got a pretty big barrel. Can you drill a hole in it? We'll just flash to this 100-foot-long <laughs> machine drilling a 30-ton part. Go, yeah, I think we can drill that. <laughs> you know, I had a big lathe turning a steel mill roll and a guy said, and I, I could see him going, you know, this barrel's pretty big. You sure you can turn it? And we'll pan over to this thing. Turn, yeah, I think we can turn that. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, you got to laugh a little bit, right? Absolutely. So, so, but the decisions are, you know, who do you want to work for? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be when you grow up? Is it worth you – know, the, old, the old joke is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Right. So is it a path you want to take? Is it a commitment you're willing to make? And is your team behind you? So, Well, let me ask you this. You know, I encounter in a lot of different areas uh, people that, that you know, get into whatever career it is they've chosen and they, they find themselves kind of in this autonomous, you know, day-to-day grind. It sounds to me like you have uh, an environment uh, that daily you're challenged, you're encouraged, you're nurtured, you're you're able to do all of these things that allow innovation to flourish. Um, do you think that's driven because of the family nature of your business or is it driven because you just seem to have collected those people along the way? Uh, you know, there's probably a natural gravitation of people who believe in similar things to eventually gather. And I, I, I won't say it was something you could ever take credit for, but I think people decide the type of environments they want to go towards. There are people who sign up to be a Navy SEAL. It's a very, very difficult task, yet they gravitate to that. They desire that greatly. Other people would not choose to do that. So, you know, your shop is set up in a certain way. You've been around a long time. You have a reputation and people know who you are. And uh, we're very family-oriented, very, very kind of low, lower key than some other corporations might be. And I think we probably, through time and attrition, attract people who are like-minded and, and, and want that. I think the biggest thing I care about, you know, for team, everybody makes mistakes and I make more than anybody, but you got to care. You, you got to care. I mean, if you don't have the core entities, that core uh, value, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. You, you have to start with that. So as long as people are in there and they've got the right frame of mind, they want to make good parts, they want to do a good job, that's that's a good place to start. And then your individual skill sets pop out over time. Well, tell me, uh, Bob, right now as we kind of come up to the end of the year, what are the things that you guys are most excited about inside Facts and Firearms? Um, I, I like the fact that our company on the firearms side – is maturing in the sense of organization and the ability to support its growth 
so that it doesn't tumble or teeter or lose customer service or lose quality. I like the structure that's been put in place over the course this past year. We've had some help at the board of directors and um, a very informal, that's a big word for what it is, but these people are very talented and have offered their time and help in, in our development of the company. And I've, I've accepted that. We as a team have accepted that and we've embraced it. So I'd say this year is probably, even though there's like all these new products, we got all these barrels and muzzle brakes and carbon fiber handguards, regular handguards, redid all the packaging, bolt carriers, ARACs, holdings, ARs, uppers. We sold our first law enforcement order. All that stuff is super cool product-wise. But I think the thing I'm most proud about is that we're building the foundation under that we have the people there, the operations, the marketing, the quality, the, the manufacturing that um, that will support that because it's not what you have today. It's are you going to continue to grow it tomorrow? And, and, and it's more foundation than fluff. So I, I think what I would be most – I should probably be saying, oh, here's what we're selling and here's what we made. and We're, we're, we're all excited about this SKU and barcode. But the company, I, I think that's probably what the biggest accomplishment this year with outside help, meaning our board of directors, uh, has, has really guided us to say, guys, you need to build this right because as it grows and it is at the pace that it is – You've got to create the foundation to support it. We never want to say, man, you guys were good last year. What happened? That would be heartbreaking, right? So, you know, I don't know if I answered your question because I should be marketing muzzle brakes and I should be pounding out barrels and, you know, stuff like that because they're all cool. They're great values. You should buy them all. But if you ask what my personal happiness or satisfaction coming to the end of this year is getting ready for next year. Um, we've closed out a lot of projects and we've started to meter what we're going to undertake. And uh, that's a book called Traction. One of the board of director members gave it to me over lunch. And he said, Bob, I've got a book I'd like you to read. I said, oh, OK, I, I haven't read a whole book in my whole life, but <laughs> I'll read it if you give it to me. It's a small paperback. So I said, I will commit to it. Well, he, he handed it to me. Bless his heart. There was 25 things highlighted with post-it notes in this book. And it was all about, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to do this. and You can't start 20 things and the entrepreneurial spirit and how you have to balance it. So I read every page of that book and I said, ooh, that one's that one hurt, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I do a little of that. So I think trying to mature in the development of the projects, putting closure to everything we started, the barrels, the muzzle brakes, the carbon fibers, the aluminum vanguard, super cool bolt carriers, the whole deal. Now we're taking and metering very specific projects with very specific targeted finish dates. And I think that's a better way for us to run our company than just randomly going about a bunch of different things and concluding them in various time frames. So I, I'd say the structure of the company, the organization, um, the growth of it is exciting. I mean, it's America. It, it's, it's entrepreneurial. It's, it's, I love startup companies that go from one desk to two. I, I like when they get their first card, their business goes first logo. I mean, you know, that, that from the ground up business start is the most exciting, uh, aspect of, of, of having a business, you know, and, uh, chief cook dish and bottle washer, man, you start out, you do it all. And, and, and I love that. I love that. So, but, but when it grows like it is now, I'd say the biggest thing is being letting go of certain things and assigning responsibilities, putting in an organization, a, attracting really good people that yeah. you can count on when they answer the phone or talk to you. And you've spoken with a lot of our folks. Um, I, I would, I would hope that they would answer things better than me in most cases and that they would never say something silly or we don't care or, you know, it's your problem or something stupid like that. So. That, that would be my biggest uh, – that's the biggest satisfaction. I think we're building a foundation this year that will support growth next year and on and that we won't drop anything like returning phone calls, customer service, answering questions, shipping on time, um, and, and above all, quality. 
So, but the innovation, I can almost promise you, unless I die or they fire me, we're gonna we're gonna be remain incredibly innovative. And and uh, you know, some may hit, some may not. Do, do you know? Have you, have you heard about our backstrap safety for the Air Fifteen? Um, no, no. Tell me about the backstrap right. safety. I, I got to tell you about this because this is one of the things we're coming out. I'm really excited about. We were looking at new shooters, and I was in a range, and again, you see stuff, and I was a little concerned because, you know, the AR-15 or a semi-automatic rifle is poised to shoot another round, and, and they're very sensitive in some cases, and uh, safety control is, is sometimes a little weak on new shooters. You know, we all have to learn, and so I think that our manufacturers always support our sport and, and make it safer, better, and, and, and better experience. We don't want accidents to happen. So I was at a range and I saw it happened to be a new shooter and she had shot several rounds and she was so excited. She turned around with a gun. I was like, yeah, I did it. I was like, yeah, there's 27 more in there. You know, so I was a little (laughs) concerned about that situation. And I said, what can we do as manufacturing? So anyway, you know, 1911s that have the backstrap safety on it. Well, we designed a backstrap safety for the pistol grip of an AR-15. So it is totally passive and secondary. It supports, it doesn't replace the actual safety on your rifle. But here's where it came in to kind of hit, hit me a little bit as far as why it's important. We were dealing with some law enforcement officers at a shooting range and they were kind of joking about how a sniper had shot this guy's hand and, you know, they call him lefty now and they were kind of joking. You know how sometimes they'll joke a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then all of a sudden he told me, so I said, what do you think about this backstrap safety? And he got real serious and he said, you know, as there was a police department not far from us, he said, they had an accidental shooting and they killed a guy because the gun discharged when they were arresting him. And and he looked at me and he said, and nobody laughs about that. And I thought, you know, that's terrible because the officer didn't do anything wrong. It was truly an accident, but yet he carries that, you know. And so as a manufacturer, anything that we can do to mitigate that type of an experience, that's where the backstrap safety elevated from a novice shooter support system to potentially helping law enforcement officers or people who use a weapon as a tool. And uh, that their their moment of interaction is so adrenaline driven and, and so quick and so fast. Um, the ability to not get the safety on in a moment, you're switching to a sidearm or arresting a person or whatever the case may be. If we can engineer a solution that helps mitigate some of that liability, we want to do that. So right. the backstrap safety was designed and is going to be marketed, and we, 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 we patented that process, that whole issue. And, it, and it's pretty cool because it's totally passive. It takes no training. It you if you don't have your hand on that pistol grip, you probably don't want to be shooting the gun. So, um, and it requires an opposite direction because the trigger has to pull this way. So if the gear is going this way, it has to be depressed in that same direction at the same time. Right. So the odds of dual compression on that pistol grip is limited. So the backstrap safety for an AR-15 is something we're coming out. And I'm actually pretty proud of that because if it's done well and if we can get it to the market properly, which will be our goal, um, you know, that may, that, may, may, that may change that story. That may change the outcome of that story one day. And um, there's been other issues as I've come out to speak with law enforcement about this potential use and uh, the removal of liability for police officers and that. So that, that's kind of a neat thing. You know, it's not a not a whiz bang marketing item, but uh, that, that that's the kind of core things that we talked about earlier. We want to do cool stuff. We got the flame flute barrels and we got some cool laser stuff. And and I like it all. man. I mean, it looks cool. Carbon fiber snazzy. But, um, you know, if we can impact our industry, if we can do something that would help make a rifle safer or help a law enforcement, those are pretty meaningful entities. And that's why I love our AR stuff and our products go on and they build them in other lowers and other uppers and other people's stuff. And it integrates perfectly. And and I'm proud of that. But the ARAC is unique. Yeah. 
the Iraq was a pretty strong departure. So I kind of have a, a soft spot for that. I think I think that's a neat thing, and that we're we're proud of that. So um, having the impact and putting into the industry and not just taking this kind of pr- pr- pretty important in our thought process. So I'm hoping that muzzlock somebody won't make their gun fall out of a vice and hit the ground you know i might maybe there's somebody like me out there i don't know but uh so you know the muzzlocks and and the different things and the looks and the low profile uh, muzzle devices and being able to disassemble your gas block and that conveniences benefits to the user uh again the experience but the safety aspect you know this this backstrap safety I'm, i'm i'm pretty excited about it because that could that could that could probably that could possibly help really help somebody you know, yeah. and, and that goes probably beyond the shooting experience we talked about earlier. That, that's a pretty dynamic uh, objective, and, and to try to reach for that and have some success would be pretty meaningful. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you one more question. You know, we've we've really kind of gotten a, a full measure of of the things that really drive you and that, that you're passionate about. But if you were asked to impart some wisdom, uh, what one piece of, of wisdom would you share with someone who wanted to get into this industry and begin that entrepreneurial journey um, to you know, be a, a manufacturer of something to do with firearms? You know, there, there's so many things there. I mean, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to sell lemonade on a street corner. You know, it's in your blood, right? And uh, usually I sold things I took out of my mom's kitchen I got for free. It was a hell of a markup. But um, when you look at entrepreneurship for people, I, I guess one thing I would say is, you know, are you doing it for the right reasons? Um, short-term gains, bang for the buck. Um, does everybody win? Are, are you biased? Are you trying to get the, the better end of a deal somewhere that's a little extreme? I, I would I would question any of those efforts. And I would also say that if you have a good idea and your heart's in the right place and you want to go after it, don't be afraid to fail. I, I could take up 10 hours of the failure. So I could tell you the companies we started and had them in the Dominican Republic and, 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 and just unbelievable horror stories, right? So don't think that everybody's perfect and comes out and says, oh, look what I did. Um, you know, oh, my first shot out of the gate was perfect and I did great. Don't, don't, don't think that. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to fail. But limit your risks so you can survive to fight another day. You may not win every single battle. So don't bet the farm on a long shot. Um, stay in the fight and, and, and keep, keep after it. And I'd say the biggest thing is quitters never win and winners never quit. So well, – that's outstanding. Bob, I really want to thank you and tell you we appreciate you coming on board. And um, with that, um, I want to let uh, our co-host read us out of the show. So, Chris? But, but before we go, oh, th- go thank you. I just want to say thank you. I, I appreciate this invitation. It's been a privilege. And, and, and thank you both, not only for your service, but for the time tonight. Well, you're very welcome. Anytime, Bob. All right. Um, Send us any questions or comments to ar15.podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free in iTunes or on Stitcher. And also leave us a review so the show can place higher in the searches for potential listeners. Um, Share your pictures with us on Instagram at ar15podcast or tag your pictures with hashtag ar15podcast. Also follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash AR15 podcast. Check out the other great podcasts on the Firearms Radio Network, um, 
there's a lot to choose from there. And do not forget to use our Brownells affiliate link for all of your AR-15 parts. And for anything that's not AR-15 related, go on Amazon and use our affiliate link through firearmsradio.tv or ar15podcast.com or go to firearmsradio.tv slash Amazon. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another uh, episode of the AR-15 podcast. Uh, Bob, thank you for joining us once again. And Chris, thank you. Um, We will see you guys next week. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.